<clears throat> this morning we're going to uh, do a, a one, one little message from the book of Hebrews chapter 9. I want to say up front that if you don't have a Bible, uh, we've got Bibles in the back. I would really like to encourage you to grab those because I'm going to jump around with some passages that I'd like you to follow along with me. If you have a device or on your phone, that's fine as well. We use the ESV version. And we're, again, we're going to be in chapter 9. I'm going to look at just four verses, verse 29, or 24 through 28 this morning. And kind of the whole concept of what I want you to get this morning is that there are, very, there are three very specific things about Jesus and his ministry that give us assurance in our faith. These three things will remind us this morning, if we're believers, that we have assurance and certainty in our Christian faith. And I want to make sure we connect the fact that if you get Jesus wrong in your life, you get it all wrong. Let me say it again. If you get Jesus wrong, you get all of your faith wrong from the Christian faith. This week, uh, we are putting, or we have put our house on the market. Kim and I have lived in the same house 40 years, and uh, we've decided we're going to downsize, and we bought a condo in Ashland, kind of our community, our family, our, our church connections are here. We really want to be in Ashland. And so we've started the process of 40 years of cleaning out closets and, and things like that. And uh, I, I told Kim, I said, uh, well, we don't have a basement, but we have an attic. I said, well, there's nothing in the attic. I'm pretty sure I cleaned that out years ago. And so I crawled up into the attic and there was some stuff in, in the attic. There, not a lot, just three boxes. And, you know, I had to pick like one of the hot days, it's 120 degrees up there, I'm sweating. And uh, it's like, look out, Kim, I'm throwing down a box. And there's three big boxes, and we start to look in the boxes, and uh, we, we discover a bunch of old pictures from when we were in college. We met in college and dated and got married afterwards. And it was fun. Got distracted, looked through some old pictures. Um, I got depressed because I look at Kim. I'm like, gosh, she's just gotten better as she's gotten older, right? She's more beautiful. I'm serious. She's really, you know, got prettier. I look at myself and I was like, not, not so much. You know, just like, I, I kind of thought, you know, I'm suffering the effects of furniture disease. You know, my, my chest fell in my drawers. And, uh, you know, I just don't look the same. So I'm thankful that Kim, you know, stuck it out with me all these years. But, but we had an hour of just thinking back to that era of our life. It was fun. But we both said, you know, I don't really want to go back to that era of our life. I, I don't want to go back to that period. It was fun to remember you know, we have so much more now when we look back and we see kind of the roadmap of God in our life. And it brought us a time of, of great thanksgiving and worship. Thank you, God, for how you've taken us through to this point in our life. And really this morning, our passage is, is like that. You know, I was thinking that uh, 
you know, no, it's no surprise to anyone. Our world's pretty chaotic. There's, there's not a lot of peace and rest, right? Everybody's on edge. Um, everybody's putting their hope in a vaccine. And, you know, when's that going to come? And will it be effective? And, and, and while that's good, that's good, it can really distract us. Listen, it can really distract us from Christ and the gospel. Because before long, we're putting our hopes and our dreams in the things of man instead of going back to the thing, if you will, the thing. Yeah, see, the problem is when we drift from, and we speak about the gospel all the time here because the gospel is the central thing that'll keep your life centered on Christ and help you to process the things of life as you go through them. The problem is that we can focus on the things we don't know and the things we don't have control over, and that becomes all-consuming for us, and miss what we do know. The gospel, if you will, paints a very clear picture for us to understand why we have disease, why we have fights, quarrels, societies that are at war with each other sometimes. Why there's no peace? Well, it's because of sin in our world. And if I simply stopped there, we would go home hopeless. Hopeless. But we're not hopeless. My goal this morning is to remind you of why we are not hopeless. I want to remember and refocus us on the importance of Jesus and the gospel. Because this is the thing, my friends, you can count on. Jesus in the gospel is the thing, not one of the things. It is the thing you can count on. Listen to what Ecclesiastes 3.11 says. God has put eternity in man's heart. God has put eternity in man's heart. This means that there's something beyond the here and now, the, the things that we experience moment by moment, year by year, decade by decade. It means that there's a life that will go on and on forever and ever. And that life's different than this temporal one that we experience. God put eternity in our hearts because God is eternal. And we were created by God in the image of God with a, with a soul that lives on. Jesus taught and promised that eternity would either be something wonderful that we will enjoy with God in his presence or something fearful that will include eternal separation from God and include pain and punishment. That there's an eternal peace to all of us that we've been created with. And I started with that illustration to help us maybe refocus that we can become so consumed with the here and now and hopes that we can control everything that's happening around us, we become disappointed, disgruntled, upset, 
we need to be reminded that there's something far greater, far more important than the here and now. Amen? So I want to take us to three very clear and certain facts about Jesus and the gospel. I love this passage, to be honest with you, because it's one of the most concise teachings in just four verses about the gospel. Remember, I started with, if you get Jesus wrong, you get it all wrong. And so I want to connect these dots of Jesus and the gospel. Listen to Hebrews chapter 1, as the writer of Hebrews starts writing. Here's what it says, verse 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things through whom he also created the world. In these last days, he's saying, finally, the final word has been spoken and given to us by Jesus. That's why I say, if you get Jesus wrong, you get it all wrong. Hebrews 9, 11 and 12 then goes on to say this before we get to our verses. It says, but when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, he's talking about the tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. God has spoken, finally spoken, through Christ. The person and work of Christ is what I want to remind us of this morning. And so the writer of Hebrews is, is just emphasizing all throughout this book and establishing the superiority and certainty of the gospel to everything that went before. He particularly is connecting the dots for those Jewish readers that would be very familiar with the Old Testament sacrificial system that had been put in place by God that would point to God's holiness and man's sinfulness and the seriousness of our sin that separates us from God. And so the writer of Hebrews is reminding the readers that the way the Old Testament sacrificial was set up, the system was set up that daily a priest would go into the temple, into the holy place, and offer sacrifices to a holy God on behalf of sinful people. Daily, animals killed, drink offerings grain offerings as a reminder of our sin is so great that it has to be dealt with daily. And then once a year, the high priest alone would go into a second part that was the holy of holies. And there he would present the blood of a bull on the altar for the sins of the people. One time a year, so just think of it. 
daily, 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 a reminder of your sin, the holiness of God daily, 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 that was before you, before a holy God that could never be taken care of, but could only be covered temporarily. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, wait a minute, we don't need to fear that anymore. Christ has come, remember, the last days he has spoken to us by his son. And Christ's ministry is different. It would be a one-time, all-sufficient, completely fulfilling the requirement of the law and dealing with sin, which is far better than the old days. So let's look at these four verses this morning. We're looking at verses 24 through 28. Verse 24, for Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So three things that I want us to be reminded of about Christ in the gospel this morning. Three key things. If you're taking notes, they're pretty easy. The first one's found in verse 26, and it says, Christ has appeared. Christ has appeared. But as it is, it says, he has appeared once for all at the end of ages to put away his sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus has appeared. There's no question, even outside of the church, that there was a physical appearance of Jesus on the earth. There are writings outside of scripture that record this. I mean, even the most uh, serious atheist would say, well, yeah, I think there are books written that Jesus walked the earth. There's historical and biblical evidence for Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. History records that Jesus walked the earth. There was evidence outside of our Bible that he performed miracles. And history records the death of Jesus. My friends, if you go somewhere on this earth today looking for the tomb of Jesus, you will not find one. Jesus lived, he died, and he was raised again. There are no bones in a grave where Jesus is. We'll get to that a little bit later. He defeated death and he proclaimed that that death gives life 
to us. What was the purpose of Jesus' first appearance? The writer of Hebrews has been continuing to emphasize this. Jesus came, listen, specifically to deal with sin. Jesus' first appearance was to deal with sin and to deal with it once and for all. Christ did not come to deny sin. He did not come the first time to soften the penalty of sin. He did not come to redefine sin. He did not come to call sin some kind of a mistake or error we accidentally make. He came to proclaim that our sin, which separates us from God, must be taken care of. And he came with full knowledge that he would live and he would die to deal with sin once and for all. He came to put away sin, the text says, once and for all, to deal with sin finally. It means there are no other options available for you and I to deal with our sin. Because Jesus came and he dealt with it completely, finally. Again, as I started this morning, it's in stark contrast to anyone who is familiar with the daily repeated pattern of having to offer the blood of innocent animals to cover our sin. Jesus came solely for the purpose, his first appearance, to deal with our sin. Verse 25, the wording says to put away sin. And and that's a word that would mean to anyone that it's annulled or it's to make something invalid. It's like it never existed. It'd be like you taking out a loan on your car and paying your loan off. That, that, That loan paper would say it's paid in full. It's removed. You don't owe it anymore. You're not going to go back the next month and the next month to try and make payments on something that's been taken care of. Jesus' first appearance was to put away sin, to deal with it once and for all. And so when our sin is put away before God, he sees us now as not guilty, as innocent as if we have never sinned, or the word theologically means justified. Just as if you never sinned. So the gospel is good news because sin has been put away by Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. And it's a certainty and assurance. Now, now why is that important? Because we get so caught up in, in the life that we kind of only know right now, trying to make things work the way we want them to work and getting angry when they don't work the way we want them to work, we forget the significant fact that we were created by God with eternity in our hearts. And Christ came to make sure that eternity could be with God. That's good news. That's the gospel, friends. It's good news because we can know our sin is not only forgiven, but dealt with once for all by Jesus. 
verse 27 says that it's appointed for man to die once and then judgment. Notice two very specific things we need to be reminded of. First, everyone will die. We will die. Unless Jesus comes back before this, we will take our last breath and we will die physically. The other part of this verse is we will stand before God in some sort of judgment. Every person dies and stands before God in judgment. And so the question is, how do we get judged? What what is the answer? What is the thing that as we stand before God, we have to be concerned about? Well, pure and simple, it's sin. God will judge us based on our sin. And our sin will either be dealt with by Jesus when we repent and believe and accept that he is the one-time, all-sufficient sacrifice for sin, or you stand before God, give an account for your sin and the works you tried to do to cover what Jesus already covered. See, God's standard for judging is holiness, it's perfection, it's righteousness, where every single person will stand guilty unless Jesus stands on your behalf. See, the gospel is good news because God acted on our behalf, showing us his love, not giving us what we deserve, which is death, but giving us the opportunity of life, which is his grace in forgiving us and giving us eternal life. See, if you get Jesus wrong, you get what? It all wrong. You can answer. If you get Jesus wrong, you get it all wrong, right? Just summary, under this first piece that Jesus has appeared once and for all, a work that Jesus did never has to be repeated. Jesus appeared at the end of the ages, that is, after the old covenant had conclusively demonstrated man's inability and powerlessness to offer sacrifices to cover, put away sin. Jesus appeared that last time with the emphasis to put away sin and to completely, completely deal with sin. Isn't it interesting if you read and be reminded in your scriptures of Jesus' final words on the cross, do you remember what they were? It is finished. Nothing left. It is finished. The dealing with man's sin, that's good news. We need reminded of that. Verse 24, so Jesus has appeared. We're now at verse 24, which says Christ now appears. And where does Jesus now appear? Well, he appears in heaven itself, in the presence of God on our behalf. Now, this passage that we're looking at reminds us Jesus doesn't appear on our behalf to repeatedly offer himself for sin. That was already handled, right? By the first appearance. So Jesus now appears on our behalf as our advocate, standing before God 
for you, for me, for those of us who know him. And scripture is saying in Hebrews 10, 12, that Jesus now is in heaven himself at the right hand of God, and it says he sat down. A further indication that it's finished, it's done, he sat down at the right hand of God. So Jesus right now is in heaven before and beside God the Father and proclaims to God the Father that anyone who has repented and now lives for Jesus is forgiven. Their sons, their daughters, he proclaims that on our behalf over and over again. 1 John 2, 1 says this, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So Christ now appears as our advocating mediator before God. There he appears in the presence of God on our behalf. He brings us before God. He prays for us. He reminds God that the death he died on the cross, he did so for your name and mine, if you're a follower. This is not a yearly appearance to cover the sin like the high priest would do. It's a continual appearance. It's as if right now, when God looks at you and I, if you're a believer in Christ, he sees us through the blood of Christ and can only see us as his son and his daughter. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news. Hebrews 10, 21, since we have a high, a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Christ now appears on our behalf and we can with full assurance know that our faith is secured because of the work of Christ. But how many of us try to add to the work of Christ? How many of us think there must be something I have to do and I'm going to work harder and harder and harder to gain more acceptance to God? In a lot of ways, that just diminishes the work of Christ, doesn't it? When, when Christ says, it is finished, it is taken care of, I don't need to work for it, but I can enjoy it. Jesus, and Jesus alone makes us a person acceptable to God. The cross and Jesus cries out on our behalf, it is finished. It is finished. So right now, Jesus in heaven is at least doing these three things. Let me remind us of this. First, he secures our acceptance before God. First Timothy 2, 5 says that there is one mediator between God and man, and that's Christ Jesus. So Jesus now has secured our acceptance if we're a follower of Christ, if we have repented and believed in the work of Christ, Jesus mediates on our behalf. Second thing Jesus is doing right now is interceding for us in prayer. 
Jesus intercedes for us in prayer. If you go back to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, let me jump back there for us. says, consequently, he is able to save those to the uttermost, to draw near to God through him, since he is always living to make intercession for them. Right now, Jesus intercedes for us. I don't know about you, but I'm glad Jesus intercedes for me. Praying for me. With prayers, I don't even know how to pray, Scripture says as well as the Holy Spirit prays for us. Third thing, he intercedes for us when we're tempted. Hebrews 4.16 is the verse that you would want to be reminded of for that. So right now, when we sin and we stray from God, and when we stray from the likeness of Christ, Jesus intercedes for us with more grace when we're tempted. great set of verses in Romans chapter 8, 31 through 34, that says, if God is for us, who could be against us? You know God is for you this morning if you're a follower of Christ. Jesus not only came once to deal with sin, finally, he now intercedes on your behalf always. Isn't that incredible? We live in faith knowing we have Jesus interceding for us now. You can confidently live in the days ahead, even though you don't know what the days ahead hold. Because Jesus stands as our intercessor and appears before God the Father now on your behalf. If you get Jesus wrong, you get it all wrong. Get Jesus wrong, there was nobody who dealt with sin. We're still in sin. If you get Jesus wrong, he's not at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. And we stand guilty. And the last thing from these set of verses, I want you to notice in verse 28, is that Jesus will appear. So Jesus has appeared, Jesus now appears, and third, Jesus will appear again. That's why I say sometimes it's so easy to get caught up in this world because we only know what we live in. We forget the fact that we were created for something eternal and one day Jesus comes back. The next event we await is the expected return of Christ not to deal with sin. And notice that in the verse. It doesn't say he's going to come back and deal with sin. It says he will appear again for the saved. When Jesus comes back, he comes back for his own, those that are redeemed, those that are restored to God. This last appearance, when Jesus comes, are for the saved, for his own. The second coming will be the final step in putting everything back the way God intended it to be. Final salvation, if you will, a complete restoration. Um, the word theologically is glorification, means that there'll be a, a freedom from sin's presence forever and ever and ever again, and that will be our ex 
eternal existence. When Jesus comes back and the final days are ushered in, we have eternity with God without any sin as our future existence. Sounds pretty good, right? Without any sin, no sickness, no illness, no fighting, no bickering, no wanting, perfect fellowship for eternity with God. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 24. Remember, I said you need that. Matthew 24, and let me just make a couple of points about this final return of Jesus. Matthew 24, we're going to look at 29 through 31. But right now, 24. This is what Jesus taught about his final coming. And this is certainly way more than one message about what that looks like, but I want to highlight a couple of things. Matthew 29, 31, here's what Jesus said. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give light, and the suns will fail or fall from heaven, and the power of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes on the earth will mourn, and they'll see the, man, or the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather the elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Jump down to verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Two things I want us to think about this morning as we think of Christ's next appearance. First, he's coming back at a time only known by God. In other words, don't spend a lot of time trying to uh, guess when the day is going to be. We, we have seen um, way beyond our lifetime people who predict when Jesus is going to come back. Scripture's clear. He'll come back at a time known only to God. So don't spend your time trying to figure that out. But listen, what I do want you to catch. When Christ returns, it will literally, physically, and bodily be something everybody knows. You're not going to go to sleep some night and miss it. Okay? It's, it's something that is literal. It is something that is physical. And it's something that is bodily. Jesus returns one day. It should not be something that we fear if we're Christians. Matter of fact, it should be something we look forward to. And if you're not a follower of Christ, let me give you some bad news. And this is as good as it gets for you. It only gets worse. When Christ returns one day and he comes for those that are saved, it'll be moving towards this time of eternal happiness and bliss and joy with God. For those who are sons and daughters, our destination is heaven, is eternity with God. It's an eternal dwelling in the presence of God, never to face sin again never to battle the destruction of sin around us. But those who are not sons and daughters, those who have not placed their faith in Christ, 
Scripture is clear that the destination is a place called hell. It's, it's a place of eternal separation from God. It's full of pain and punishment because we chose sin over God's offer of forgiveness. Now, now catch that, please. Because somehow we want to remove our guilt from this equation. Those who are eternally separated from God will be in suffering and pain because they chose sin over the forgiveness God offers through Christ. So when Christ returns, he's going to usher in this final stage. It's a certain thing. We don't know when, but we know it will happen. Jesus' next appearance, his final return, will usher in a final day when an eternity with God will be fully understood. And we get to live out that piece of us that's been created for eternity. So what, what's this really say to us? Well, the expectation of Christ's concern or return should place an urgency in our life. I mean, enjoy our life. God gave this to us. Enjoy it. But it's not the final thing. It should bring an urgency for us to want to share with everyone the good news. That Christ has appeared once for all to deal with sin. That for those who are in Christ, Christ now appears on our behalf. And one day Christ will return. And at that point, people are headed for two destinations. Matthew 24, 14, Jesus says that the gospel will be preached throughout the whole world. And then Jesus will return. We're to tell the world the good news. The, the urgency for you and I is to be prepared and ready when anyone asks you a reason you have such hope to say it's Jesus. Because if you get Jesus wrong, you get it all wrong. And our world needs to know that. Instead, let's make sure our reason for the hope we have is not connected to people or situations or worldviews or all the things that want to jump in the place of Jesus. Jesus will appear again and he will come for his own and he will take only those who are his to be with him. Are we ready? And maybe a more important question for those listening, as well as those of you here this morning. Do you know Jesus, and does Jesus know you? I didn't say, do you know about Jesus? The question is, do you know Jesus, and does he know you? Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said in the final day, this day before or when, when one dies and stands in judgment, many people will say, I did this miracle, I did that act, I did this on your behalf, and he says this very fearful thing. He tells those who claim to be followers, who even served him, 
depart from me, I do not know you. So you can know about Jesus, you can even mentally agree to the things I'm saying this morning and not know Jesus. Right? We need to know Jesus and Jesus needs to know us. So three, four verses packed with a lot of stuff, isn't it? But these four verses give us the roadmap and the assurance and certainty of our faith. Because Jesus has appeared. He came to put away sin once and for all. It has happened. He's dealt with sin. Second, we have assurance of faith because Jesus now appears for believers before God, mediating and advocating on our behalf. He stands for you, proclaiming to God, you're a son or you're a daughter. And lastly, we have assurance of faith because Jesus will return one day. And he will take with him his own and usher in the final days where Jesus will restore all things once and for all. We'll enjoy eternity with God face to face with fellow believers and God without any effects of sin. Friends, that's far better than anything we get to experience in this life. Amen? Today, you either have assurance of faith or you don't. You either know with a certainty that your sins are forgiven and you're called a son or a daughter or you don't. If you don't, if you don't, God died on your behalf and now welcomes you to come to him and get peace for your soul, forgiveness of your sin, restoration with God. He came, he lived, and he died for us. You can have that peace and assurance through Christ. I'd love to talk to you about that and pray with you if God is speaking to your heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for the scriptures the scriptures that are your word that really are all about the gospel that remind us of your great love for us in sending Christ, sending Christ the first time to appear and deal and put away sin. You know, if we're here this morning and, and you're wrestling trying to do good works to earn your favor with God, Lord, help them to know that there's no good works to be done. Christ and Christ alone is the only way our sin can be dealt with. Lord, have, help us this morning to have assurance of our faith because Jesus, right now you intervene on our behalf, proclaiming that our sin is forgiven and that we are sons and daughters, and you pray for us, thank you. And then finally, Lord, 
It's hard, we confess. It's hard because we live in a world that has many enjoyments and many good things that you have created, but we confess it's easy to want to hold on to those. And give us hearts this morning that are reminded that you put eternity in our hearts and that one day you return Jesus to usher in these final pieces that one day this world we know won't look anything like what we experience now. And when you return, you will take your own with you. Lord, thanks this morning that we have assurance and certainty of faith because it's written for us in these scriptures reminding us of the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.